What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 24 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is an honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we are all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the places that God has put us. Well, today we get to sit down with one of those great leaders. His name is William Vanderblumen. William and I were lucky enough to get connected by a mutual friend a few years ago. I knew of the Vanderbloom and Search Group. They're the leader in the church world at that time in the search industry of placing people and getting people where they needed to be. But his background with pastoring, his background in leadership, man, there is so much there. And I remember sitting there that day at a little coffee house down in Smyrna and just taking notes from our conversation and thinking, gosh, I wish that other people could hear what he's telling me about culture, what he's telling me about lessons he's learned, what he's telling me about things he's learning. You may listen to his podcast. You may have read his most recent book on staff culture, which they've been recognized for in the Houston area. But there is so much in the tank. The first time I was with William, I got to be really selfish. It was just me. But this time, you get to listen in. So I hope you'll pull out a notebook, get your pen ready, because he's going to deliver some good stuff today that's going to make you, in whatever field you're in, make you a better leader. Not just a leader to accomplish an agenda, but make you a better spiritual leader and that you'll see God's hand at work in your journey and your experiences. So pull up a chair and listen in to my time with William Vanderblumen. Well, William, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Well, you need to raise your honor bar a little bit. It's not that uh, big a deal, but I really am Super thankful for the chance to visit with you today and uh, love what you're doing with this podcast. Well, you're awesome. Well, I love your journey because you didn't end up where you are today on a straight path. There were some there were some little detours and some other roads you got on to get where you are today. And you spent a lot of years pastoring. Did you ever dream that you wouldn't end your career pastoring when you were when you were back there in the early days doing that was that what you thought you'd do for the rest of your life oh man i mike i had no idea i mean uh <laughs> you said I, I took a few detours you know i i probably spend more time on the detour than i do on the straight path <laughs> I, it ought to be the other way around but i am a work in progress oh uh, for sure and you know it's funny i I uh, I was the kid in high school who was always starting a small business. Uh, I was the I was the kid in uh, fourth grade who had a paper route and uh, had this dog that was chasing me. I, it, it was one dirt road to deliver one paper, so it's two dollars every two weeks, and I only get to keep half of it. And this stupid dog chases me all the way up and down the road. So I. I was the kid who figured out who owned the other paper routes around me. I bought them out, redesigned the paper routes, and then sold back the new routes without the dog <laughs> on my route anymore. Unbelievable. So I, was like, 
I was like business, 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 and was not, you know, super fluent in the Bible. We went to church, but not a whole lot. So, so the punchline to the way too long story is uh, coming out of high school, I was the, you know, they're all superlatives. Everybody's got, there, there were enough of them for everybody to have one. I, I was the most likely to succeed, right? So at our 10-year high school reunion, we, I go back and I'm pastoring. And I unanimously won the award for least likely career choice. <laughs> they were and like, man. The bad part's when your congregation feels the same way. That's the bad part. They were like, man, if they'll let him do this, it must be really easy to get in. Because uh, <laughs> That is hilarious. So did you, let me ask you this. When you were back in high school, did you see yourself as a leader back then? Would you have looked at yourself and went, yeah, man, I've got some leadership gifts. I, I don't I don't know about leader. Um, you know, back then, uh, it's been a while since high school. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and me too. Talk about leadership was not like it is now. Like right. this was, John Macklin was probably doing his thing, but it'd be really early on. And, you know, you didn't hear people talking about learning leadership skills or did I see myself as someone who wanted to start businesses? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, did that over and over and over. And then, and then, while I was in college, it was very little straight path, a whole lot of detour. I, I did an outstanding job of being a prodigal son. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then, you know, God kind of woke me up in the, in the middle of uh, college. And I got interested in uh, learning more about this faith that had come alive. So I took some classes from some professors at Wake Forest. And it was, it was man, goosebump city. You know, wow. it was just. You know, and I thought, well, this is what I want to do. I'm, a, I'm gonna do this. I don't want to be a pastor because I don't want to. It, it, I grew up in a fairly traditional setting. I don't want to wear a robe. I don't even know how you go to the grocery store in a robe. I don't. I don't want to have really bad hair and ask people for money. That was my picture of <laughs> pastors. And uh, so I was gonna go be a professor. Went to Princeton for seminary. Uh, realized about halfway through, you know. Um, People who do PhDs and teach really only teach about six hours a week. And the rest of the time, they enjoy sitting in a corner in a library reading about what got right. dug up in the ancient Near East last week. And that ain't me. <laughs> like, yep. Yep. I, I, I love to be with people. I'm like, man, what I'd really like to do is connect people to the place they need to be connected. And, and that would be, you know, to their faith. So you do a job search when you're in seminary. I want to connect people to their faith. Well, you know, pastor pops up a lot. Yep. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I didn't want to be a pastor and God and I wrestled and, and now I walk with a limp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ex so, Do you feel like it, you would be good at what you're doing today if you hadn't have done that? I couldn't do what I'm doing today no. if I hadn't done that. I, and, and I found this out by happenstance, but I've turned it into, you know, you can take the things you learn in hindsight and translate it into advice for future generations mm. just to kind of save them the stupid tax, right? And what, what I found is what, what happened in my story that I think would be helpful for somebody that's listening today is um, I'm doing the job that I could only do through having the sum total of jobs I've had in the past. That's good. So I, I tell candidates all the time, like, if you're thinking about what job to take next, only take the job that you would be unable to do without all the experience you have up till now. That's like the dream job. And, and that's, that's the key. I mean, my time as a pastor, my, 
my parishioners were very patient people and the Lord taught them that they needed to be patient because <laughs> I was a young, arrogant leader that thought he knew everything. I, I think I actually did know everything, but, uh, you know, just, you know, I, you know, the quote that I think of when I think back to my, I, I, I was a senior pastor at a church of about 5,000 adults and a couple thousand kids when I was 31 years old wow. and it was an old, old church. Sam Houston went to church there. So it's like, oh, right. And the quote that sums up me back then is uh, uh, Ted Turner, who you know from the Atlanta area, right? So my favorite Ted Turner quote ever. He said, you know, if I had a little more humility, I'd be perfect. (laughs) That is great. (laughs) That that is great. (laughs) That was me. And, you know, God humbled me. And I still battle with pride, you know, all the time. But, but. Through the the crafting of my soul and some of my skills in pastoring, hopefully some people were helped. Uh, but but I see now, looking back, that God was preparing me for now mm. through all the things that happened then. Boy, that's so good. I know we use a little phrase all the time. I heard from a guy years ago: God never wastes our time, and He never wastes our experiences. That's and those good. those detours and those valleys really make you who you are today and make you so good at what you do. So you were, it's really interesting. You, you sort of run a dual track world. You work very heavily in the church world in, in Vanderblum and search group, but y'all work in the business world as well, nonprofits. And I know you write a ton for Forbes that we'll get into. What are things that would surprise business leaders about pastors? What are pastors better at? than a business leader would probably ever give them credit for. Anything stand out? Well, you know, I, having done both roles, I think that uh, pastors have a lot to learn from business leaders, mm-hmm. and, and particularly the kind of pastor that I was. Now, you know, if you're a pastor that's listening, you're a church planner, you can just disregard this part. But I came into the church with a very secure job in a church that had been around a long time. No, never even crossed my mind what would happen if we didn't make the numbers this year. What, you know, there, there was just a, almost a, a, I don't want to say entitlement. That's not it, but just no scarcity at all. The thing's going to be around forever. I'll have a job forever. Business owners that actually have to work without a safety net, like yep. plant a business and grow it, they come away with a whole different way of thinking through things. I remember the first time I sat in a meeting when we had some staff because we started our company and from scratch and it was me and my wife and my dog. And uh, fortunately, the three of us are all still together <laughs> and uh, working on a succession plan for the dog. But, uh, you know, uh, when we started and then we finally had some staff and we were sitting in a meeting that was taking too long. It was the first time in my mind I thought, I wonder how much money this meeting is costing me. Mm, mm. I've never thought that way. So I think pastors could learn a lot from business leaders. I I think that, you know, if I were a business leader saying, what can I learn from a pastor? I don't learn from me because there are people far better at it than I am. But uh, if your pastor is a good public speaker, that is like the hardest Mm. thing in the world. You know, the number one fear of people is not death. It's, it's public speaking. That's right. And, uh, What's the old Jerry Seinfeld line? Most people would rather be the subject of a funeral than the person. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. So, you know, um, not just to publicly speak, but to stand up and say, here's what the guy who runs the universe thinks right. you ought to do with your life. Now, that takes some major 
stand in the pocket and deliver when pressure's coming, sort of NFL quarterback nuts. Mm. That's good. And I don't I don't know that that business people fully understand that. I would have business guys and women come to me saying, I've been asked to speak at the Rotary Club and I don't know how to put together a talk. So that that would be one thing. But I think now now this this may be a reach for you. But I really think if you look down the road of the next 5, 10, 20 years in the business world, um, things are going to be vastly different. Hmm. There's going to be, if I have nickel for every news article that I've seen in the last six months that has the, the two letters AI, like artificial intelligence, what's going to happen with automation? What's gonna, what are we going to be worth 20 hmm. years from now in the workplace? And I think the value proposition that business leaders will have in 20 years is going to be way different than it is now. And I think a lot of it is going to be wrapped up in the soft skills or the art of working with people and providing things that computers just can't. Pastors have to do that every single day. Uh, when, when I decided I was going to not do the PhD and I was going to go into ministry, my, my granddad, who was a greatest generation and Okinawa is a 17-year-old and like the whole all the things Tom Brokaw would write about. That's him. Sunday school teacher, First Baptist Church in Lenore forever and ever. I've got his notes on legal pads. Uh, he leaned over to me. We were sitting before dinner, and he said, what are you going to do when you get out of seminary? And I said, well, I think I'm going to go to the ministry. He said, don't do that. I said, well, you know, granddad, I, I, I think I wanted to. You don't want to do that. So then I'm like, we're in an argument. Uh, okay, he's a Marine. What can I say? Hey, granddad, I think it's my duty to go, you know, like Semper Fi, yeah. right? Duty, you go into ministry. No, you don't want it. So back, forth, back, forth. Finally, he leans over the table and kind of gets in my face. Never seen him do this before. He said, do you want to spend the rest of your life knowing no matter how faithful you are or how productive you are, you make the wrong group of people mad and you're done. Wow. And I said, well, that's not how church works. I'll <laughs> <laughs> and it was a prophet. Right. And anybody, I know, I did, believe me, it's come to mind many times. But, you know, I don't think business people live in that reality. Yeah. You can make the wrong customers mad and a social media thing comes out and you got a problem. Uber's founder gets fired. It, those kind of things happen. But, but I don't know that business leaders live in a reality where they're constantly having to measure people skills, soft skills, how am I connecting, how am I relating? So I'd say public speaking and then the soft skills, which are going to rise in value over the next 10, 20 years. That's really good. And it and it's interesting. So I sort of walk those roles and, you know, there's so much leadership is leadership and it doesn't really matter the context you do it in, but both have a lot really do to learn from each other. So you leave, you leave pastoring and you walk into this whole world now where you have really America's greatest firm for finding and placing candidates and connecting the dots for people. How in the world did that happen? How did you go from yeah. First Presbyterian Houston to the Vanderbloom and Search Group that's grown beyond you, your wife, and your dog? How, how did that whole thing come about? Well, only God. I mean, mm. only God. And, uh, you know, people ask all the time, because we've been blessed with very quick growth. Uh, there was a stop between pastoring and starting this. There's a middle chapter there. I went into a Fortune 200 company uh, in an oil and gas, upstream oil and gas uh, company in their HR department to kind of learn the business and then rotate around and kind of get on a management track sort of thing. Uh, hated it. Uh, wasn't very good at it. And uh, it, within a year, I was unhappy. But 
I watched them go through their succession mm. and their CEO had been there nine years, which for a company that size, your leaders who are listening know that's a lifetime. It's yep. usually three, three and a half years. And in 90 to 100 days, they'd gone through the succession process, named the new CEO. There wasn't one day where they were without a CEO. That guy, 10 years later, is still there. Wow. 19 years, uninterrupted leadership, two solid leaders. The guy before the nine-year run was there 20 years. So they had just long, seamless leadership. And they used an outside firm to help them with that. And I'd never seen anything like that. And then I thought back to First Presbyterian Houston, which is a fantastic church. Uh, good people, it, you know, you're supposed to go into ministry to follow the call of God, but but on a career path, this would be kind of a destination, right? You would, oh boy, I get to be pastor there, yeah. I'll just retire there, right? They took three years to find me. I was there five and a half, six years. They took two and a half years to find my successor. Wow. So, so in an 11-year run, 50% of their time, they were without a pastor and looking. And I'm like, this is insane. What would happen if we could build a business solution for the church that's as good as or better than the business solution that my oil and gas company used? That's and then good. that sort of kicked things off. And, you know, since then, we've had a very uh, repeated, robust growth. So it's been robust, but it's happened every single year. And uh, people say, well, how'd you do that? And I say, well, you know, I think we are the 15-year overnight success. Yeah. Uh, because the 15 years leading up to uh, founding the company, you know, I didn't have any pastors in my family. Like, I didn't come from a long line of pastors. But in fact, after I told my granddad, and we had the, you don't want to do this conversation, my grandmother walked in, what are y'all talking about? I said, I was telling granddad that I'm going to go into ministry. And she said, oh, good. Now we have one to get us all in. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, good people, but we, I didn't know how to be a pastor. So I reached out to everybody I could find and the people that were kind to me, I didn't care if they were Presbyterian or not. That didn't matter. I just wanted to learn this thing. Right. Yep. So for 15 years, and I got in all kind of hot water for not listening to the Presbyterians enough and for following people like the Rick Warrens out there. And the, so, you know, it, it led to a very, uh, I guess, if you were being nice, you could say diverse friend list. If you were yep. being critical, you could say schizophrenic. Uh, so, you know, I, Ed Young and I became, the, the dad, yep. became pretty good friends. And, you know, he's pretty much a pillar in the history of the Southern Baptist Church. And then I'm friends with Joel and Vic Osteen. I mean, and now your listeners just shut off the podcast and you lost all your audience. And I'm sorry, <laughs> but he is a good guy. I mean, theology aside, you guys using yeah, him. Very, no doubt about it. Very unique way. One part of a big story, but, yep. uh, but, but who has those two people in their, you know, favorites to dial? Like they don't like one of them drinks tea and the other one unsweetened tea. So, I mean, like yep. they don't do anything the same. And, you know, looking back, I just realized I have all these diverse networks and friendships and God was, was laying down the tracks for what I'm doing now. So I, I can't claim any success. This that's is a good. total only God. And that's gets back to that advice. I could never do what I'm doing now had I not done all the things that led up till now. That is so uh, good. And, and and we started, you know, I, <laughs> I remember uh, I decided, okay, I'm going to try this. And I went home to talk to Adrian. We'd been just gotten married. We're a blended family. And uh, 
we had six kids we were raising. We just bought a house. And I said, baby, I think I'm, I think I'm supposed to quit my job and, uh, and start something new for churches. <laughs> and I'll never forget. She looked at me and she said, that's because churches love new ideas, right? <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, she gets the credit for starting the thing because I'm the, in our, in our marriage, I'm the dreamer and she's the realist. You know, yep. there's always the, the pioneer and the planter, like the, there's a lot of ways of saying it, but basically I would try anything. And if I were left with no free, just with free reign, we would have about one nickel in our bank account. She, on the other hand, is the keep it all together and make things run on time. And, and the combination worked out really well. So we set up a card table in the house and just started out. Oh, and and it was the fall of 2008, which if you remember oh, back then, glorious, brilliant time to quit your job. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, since then, we we could grow faster. We've we've made decisions not to uh, we like we don't take any venture capital money, no investors. We don't do debt service. and you know, like my friend and in a lot of ways mentor uh, and very good client, Dave Ramsey says, you know, we move at the speed of cash. Mm. We will grow as we are able to grow. And, you know, for us, success isn't growing a giant firm. Success is getting something good done uh, that's left the world better than we found it. And in the middle of all that, letting my family have some peace of mind that we're provided for. And could we grow faster if we took on investor money or, you know, all that kind of, maybe, but then I don't know if I'd have peace of mind. So that's right. Could, could be faster. I might not be the best guest to talk about rapid growth, but uh, yeah, that's just a little bit of the story. That's really good. And I, and I, and what she said so important too, because churches aren't known for embracing new ideas like that. I mean, they've had, the way you do it, you get the search group together and they pray and then they go through the candidates. And, and I, I was are. talking to a guy at dinner last night and said, oh yeah, the last pastor search I was on, we had 72 candidates. We had to go see them all. So what began the breakthrough for you guys and how low, maybe the better question would be, how long did it take to break through that, that door that was there where they were keeping outsiders from the process, how how long did that take? Well, it's still happening. Okay. Um, I, I, your listeners may have heard of this. Uh, what's it called? Curve of adoption of change. You know, you've got early adopters, you get innovators, then early adopters, and then it kind of goes mainstream, and then you know the the late adopters, and then the anchors. I guess is the nice way of saying the people who never want to do anything new. Uh, the church has that curve, right? And early on. Uh, first of all, if you're thinking about quitting your job and starting a business, one of the things we just sort of ha accidentally got right was we looked at our cash reserves as a family and said, how long can we do this before it starts to put the kids at jeopardy, right? Mm -hmm. And we said, all right, we put a line in the sand. If we hadn't seen traction, if we hadn't seen the deal by this time, traction by this time, you know, we were putting all of our life savings in the middle of the table, which wasn't, didn't take a very big table, but oh. Uh, <laughs> You, know, you said picnic table or the little fold outs. I mean, I think I got a pretty good idea what we're working with. We're, we're not talking about a large amount of money, but we did say, okay, if we hadn't seen something back here, we're not putting a fleece out or telling God what to do or what time. So we started with that as our uh, sort of, if we see traction, but then we'll keep going. And I just kind of hit the pavement and started calling people. And, uh, you know, we were, 
30, 45 days in before I started getting phone calls from people that would really seriously talk about, we want to hire you. I, I remember the first uh, church that was really serious. I said, you know, we think we might want to do this. They said, can you meet, you know, two days? And it was here in Houston. So I was like, sure, I'll drive up there. Well, then this thing called Hurricane Ike happened. And, uh, you know, the entire state was shutting down. EVAC was happening. And I'm like calling the church saying, I'm going to drive up there. We're going to have this meeting. Like, <laughs> they were like, really, man, we can wait till the storm is around. No, 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 no. I want to meet now. Let's meet. So we waited, which bummed me out. But uh, that, that ended up being our first search. And, and then it really was early adopters. Wow. Like, you know, there's the, the big churches are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And innovation in those has been pretty large. You know, the internet kind of egged a lot of that on. Yep. And uh, uh, the, the first clients we had were all very large churches that were highly entrepreneurial. It's funny how the entrepreneurial churches tend to also be the large ones. But, That's uh, right. Uh, you know, a few years in, we realized, you know, there's like, I think by our count, which is pretty thorough. If you look at, uh, we work all over the world and we work with businesses and schools and relief organizations, but just, just the church part of our business. Uh, if you look at Protestant USA, there's like 360,000 churches. Um, if you give or take, if you say how many of those have a worship attendance of 4,000 or more, uh, the answer is 404. Wow. And 208 of those 404 are on our client list. So, you know, that was kind of the beginning. And then through a whole lot of content writing, uh, you know, we began to convince the guy who's listening on your podcast right now, who's on his church board and he's a business guy and the pastor leaves and what are we going to do? We're like, how do we get that guy to pay attention to us and believe in us? So. I, I get to write for Forbes, which is an honor, but I don't do it because it's an honor to write for Forbes. I do it to get in front of your listener. That's good. You know, do you love your church and are you good at business? Here is a business solution run by people who love the church that will help your congregation. I, lo I love that. And I want to dive in on that a little bit. So you've got the guy that sits in the sits in the chair or the pew every Sunday. They're going to the marketplace. They are, are leading a company, they're leading a division, they're coaching a team, whatever they're doing. How do you see, William, them taking their faith, what they get on Sunday? How do you see it making a mark Monday to Friday? What would you say to that person about how they could really make a mark with leading with their faith out in front? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, Mike, interesting question. I, this may or may not help. This may, Maybe you just delete it from the podcast and we can talk about the dog. But, uh, you know, I think I've learned more about evangelism being in the business world than I ever learned being in the church world. Now, what do I mean by saying that? Well, so here I am, as you rightly pointed out, I'm a new idea for churches and churches are not great at new ideas. So how do we get on board? That's not too different a question from a leader who's listening today saying, I've got this faith yeah. and I'm around people who don't. And it's not just what church do you go to? It's like they don't even go to church. Like, and the, and So how do I take a new idea to them? Well, I think the way we, we cracked the code, if we did or have or are still learning to, with sales to a new market might be the same as evangelism to a lost people. And what we learned in our sales of a new product to a new market is we have to win trust. 
And we have to, uh, in our world, we have to share content. Like if you're a leader right now, and I don't care what kind of business you're in, if you're leading any kind of team in any kind of business, you, I'm guessing you've had people problems that you just don't know how to solve. And that might, it might be a problem like, I don't know how long a staff meeting should be. I don't know how to do an annual review. How do I fire my friend? How do yeah. I, like all those kind of things, you know, how much of that did they teach you in seminary? Like zero, right? Yeah. So we just started writing as we were learning. Like, let's just share what we're learning in a way and totally free. In fact, if you go to vanderblumen.com and you can spell it in Google however you want, you'll get there. It's, <laughs> my name is, well, that's why we named the company what we did, Mike. I mean, I didn't want to name it after me, but the search engine optimization people said, William, your last name is so screwed up. That's so good. You can misspell it a hundred ways in Google. And so go to vanderblumen.com. There are over 2,000 free resources there for how you can build and run and keep your team. And that's not just limited to church. There's a lot of stuff for pastors there, but there's a lot for business leaders. And, and what we found is the more we put out valuable content, like this podcast is, you know, every other week, at least, you've got really good guests. And uh, it, it's, you're offering valuable content that people go, you know, Mike knows what he's doing. I trust him because he's doing these, this podcast that's just helping me out for free. I, I might want to hear more about what Mike, makes Mike do what he does. I, I would say, you know, building this business in this content-driven way has led us to a place where churches are coming to us asking for more information rather than me having to beat down their door. Same way with evangelism. What, what can you do with such excellence that people say, he functions a little bit differently than everybody else, and I want to know what makes him tick. I've probably had more non-Christians ask me about the faith since I've been a business leader in our community than I did when I was a pastor in our community. That's so good. What I love about that, William, is it's where people least expect to see it. They don't mm -hmm. expect to see it in the boardroom on a Monday or in the locker room on Saturday night, getting ready for NFL kickoff on Sunday. They're expecting it at church. They're not expecting to see someone. And I've never met a person that doesn't want to follow somebody with humility and with love and all the fruits of the spirit Jesus laid out for us. And Paul wrote about, man, or or what everybody wants to follow. And what I love what you guys have done is you have created a culture that the city of Houston is standing up and recognizing within your company. And culture is a really big deal. I know your newest book that's out right now is all about culture. And we'll have a link in the show notes. Talk to me a little bit about what makes a great culture? What have you done? What are some of the tips you've done to make Vanderbloom a great place to work, a great place people want to get up and come to, a, a company that now you're on the, the most admired list every year in Houston? What are some tips for that, William, for companies and churches? Well, I mean, anything I know about building a culture has happened either by accident or by learning from others. I, it's another one of those things I didn't you know, take a class in or it, it, and it just sort of happened. And I think what we, what we realized, and, you know, I'll, I'll put it in a nice noble way, but the, the real way first, right. And then we'll do the tweetable fun, yeah. noble way. <laughs> the real way was we looked around when we were about five or six employees and we're like, we really like each other. We need to figure out how to keep hiring people that we like. <laughs> and good. that led to a conversation about, you know, what are we doing? 
that is different from other teams. In other words, where are we a little bit crazy? And, uh, you know, we're, we're, I say this, and I say it too much now, my staff's going to kill me because everybody tries us on it, but you, you write into us saying, I'd like for you to talk to me about doing a search or helping out with our culture or, you know, whatever the, the team problem is we need solved. You will hear back from us within 60 seconds, as long as you're in the waking world of the United States. Now, our clients in Sydney, sometimes it's a little longer than one minute if they email, because they're on a little different clock than yeah. we are. But, uh, but you know, I am almost obsessive compulsive about getting back to people right on time. Yeah. And I hired people that were like that. And we, and, you know, we would get comments like, why are you calling me back? Aren't you like tucking your kid in? Why are you? You, you're crazy. And then one day it dawned on us, we are crazy. That's good. But we're all the same kind of crazy. And the longer I work with teams, the more convinced I am that every organization is led by a group of broken people. Crazy people, however you want to say it. For me, the the secret, if you will, to our culture was that we we just sat down and figured out what is our kind of crazy and how do we hire people that are like that? How do we embed those values throughout the, the life cycle of an employee? Now, the nice, fun, tweetable way of saying this is uh, if you got your whole team together and you had a meeting to try and discover your culture, which is important, you don't you don't go to the mountain and go create a culture. You discover what's already there. It, you know, the Ten Commandments are not up on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments of culture are down at the bottom with the people. And uh, if, if you get them all together and you want to say, well, how do we discover our culture? Then have a team meeting and ask this one question. When we are functioning at our very best, what do we do that's common to us, but uncommon to the other teams we see around us? What do we do that's just normal to us that would be abnormal on other teams and you'll start to figure out what your signature is i mean the culture if i had a nickel we studied 150 companies when we wrote this book that have won culture awards and then we went and studied a bunch of other companies and i got so tired of seeing people say our cultural value is excellence yeah. like you know i'd kind of like to see somebody say we, we value mediocrity <laughs> nobody does that so it needs to be more like yeah. nuanced like what is the thing that that we do that we're just abnormal uh and and you know that's the the book is our journey on how we figured out what our culture was and how we drive it through the organization but it's also informed by interviews with you know 150 different ceos and coos of companies that are winning culture awards and and that's you know some totally secular businesses it's also North Point Church here in the Atlanta area, yep. a little, little church down the road you might know. Just a small uh, one. Yeah, it's a small one. Yeah. Uh, Dave Ramsey's company was another one, Chick-fil-A, you know, like all these sort of faith-driven businesses. So it's the whole gamut. And we said, is there anything that's that's uh, kind of best practices among totally secular businesses and faith-driven businesses and churches? And that that kind of informed the book as well so it hopefully it's not a hard read but hopefully it's a really good little journey that will help leaders ask their own questions and start to realize what their own culture is because when you figure out what your kind of crazy is and you start to hire around it staff around it everybody functions in a lot better harmony uh, it doesn't make things perfect but it makes things a whole lot more productive
That's really good. I, you know, in even one of your articles on great teams, you talked about great teams know how to listen to each other and they know how to hear each other. Is there something you guys really work at internally that you work with your employees on listening better to each other? Is that, or is it just something you go, you know what, we just know it's a work in progress? Well, I don't think we have it mastered. You know, the old line, God gave us two ears and one tongue yeah. for a reason. Um, you know, probably the only employee we have that's perfect at listening is Moses, uh, the dog. Uh, <laughs> he really is a good listener. Uh, everybody else, we're still working on it. But but I will say, just for tangible, like, hey, what can I take back to work from this podcast? We've, we've found that personality tests are not great for hiring. In fact, they're illegal for hiring in a whole lot of states. So be very careful if you're going down that road. Um, but they are great for learning how to communicate with one another. And, you know, there's a lot of different ones. There's not one that's cornered the market. The one we use is called insights. Uh, I think it's just insights.com. Uh, it's kind of like the disc, but more enhanced. And, uh, it tells people here, here are the four drivers of each individual and how they're combined. And, you know, we've got little foam Lego blocks on the desk and we stack them in the order of personality is and, you know, people walk into my office and they know uh, just I'm using internal language here, but like red or is a high, my highest color yep. or a D on the disc, I guess, if you speak that kind of thing. So that top brick is red and it's, you know, kind of put in layman's terms. You want to communicate with me? Be, be, be brief, be bright, be gone. That's right. And uh, folks know, you know, the best way to communicate with, with William in an inter interruption, not yep. in a planned meeting is to, you know, package it tight, give me the big idea and go on. Uh, one of our lead team members is the best at communicating with me on an interruption kind of basis. He'll, he'll text me and say, I'm about to send you a very long email. You don't need to read it right now. Please do when you have the time. The big idea is this. I'm like, oh, that's cool. all you need. Yeah. But he, he wouldn't know that if we weren't committed to learning each other's personalities. Uh, it, you know, I get a call from sweet Caroline on our staff. I know her biggest driver is not red, it's green. And, and there's like a, we've attached time value. Like if I don't have 20 minutes, I need to not take her call. <laughs> and that's like out of care for her. Yes, just, it's just absolutely. Like if, I, if I blow through her concern with a two minute conversation, she's going to feel like I ran all over her and didn't listen. Yep. So, you know, it's just, it's finding a system. There's not a perfect one, but Insights works really well for us. We actually run teams through that as a, a service line that we do. Uh, but you can you can use any inventory. I mean, it's the key is having a common language everybody understands so you know how to serve one another's personality through communication. That's a super point. You know, in, in, in a marriage, to build a great marriage, two people have to bend in. It's not just their style or his style, her style and his style. It's they bend in to meet each other. We have on our, I'm a disc trainer. So on our doors, we all have our disc description on the door. I'm an IS. So they know if they come to my office, don't bring me a bullet point list. Come and sit and tell me how you're doing. If you bring me a bullet point list, I don't. I will be convinced you don't like me and you don't know me. But but it, it, you're exactly right. Learning learning that art of each other is such a great. That is a great tool. One of the final questions for you: to get where you've gotten, it hadn't been all easy. And every great leader walks through a valley and they walk through a time that probably causes, a, as Blackaby would say, a crisis of belief. 
What's the toughest thing you've ever been through in leadership that, that you didn't know if you'd make it through, but you're glad you're kept going from? Well, I think, I, I think, I don't know that there's something that I've gone through. Uh, there are things I'm still going through. I would say uh, the most unforeseen challenge that I've dealt with and still deal with is success. Mm. You know, <laughs> ears are wide open and prayers are fervent when you're not winning. Yeah. But when you're winning, you can, you can drink your own Kool-Aid and think you're something That's special. Good. And that, man, that just reveals the soft underbelly of any leader. So I, th- I think it's the, it's the time, you know, you start to succeed and start to believe some of your own press. It, it doesn't take far from there to make big mistakes. And I, I can't point to one, you know, yeah, that I, yeah. I can tell you a catalog, but this is supposed to be a short podcast. That's right, that's right. <laughs> but uh, I, I, if it, for me, it would be when there's success. And, and that may go back to the whole pride thing. But I think, you know, if a leader does have the guts to lead a team, start a business, speak in public, whatever it is, the shadow side of that is pride. And, uh, you know, if I had a little more humility, I'd be perfect. That's so good. That is so good. As you finish your journey here, you're, I think you and I are probably around the same age, and you're in the middle of this season of building and growth, and you begin to look on down the road a little bit and go, well, I'm not going to work forever, and I want to leave a legacy. What, what do you think's the purpose God created you for? If you were to get uh, to the end of the days you know, and say, man, this is, I, this is why I think I was here. What do you think that would be? Well, I think it's it's uh, particular to the day and time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when when Paul summed up David's life, he served God in his day and time, and served God's purpose for him in his day and time. And so, in in this day and time where I am right now, you know, with our company just being, it's gosh, I've been doing this ten years, but not fifty. You know, ask me in ten more years, I might yeah. know something, but. In this day and time, I love creating connections. I love helping see teams do better. And I give you a long list of reasons that I think this is the right day and time for us to step in a gap that exists in the church, whether it's because denominational offices are not working or, you know, uh, people are in non-denominational churches that aren't connected. But it goes beyond the church now because we're seeing that in our culture, right now, where being a Christian is a foreign idea to most of the culture. That's right. If you want to hire people that share your values, man, there's never been a time where you've needed help more. So, you know, do I want to be remembered as the search guy? I don't know about that. Do I want to remember that I helped teams that are trying to do good become great teams? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that'll shift and change as I get a little bit older. I, I know I don't want to be uh, the old tired guy with bad shoes at the airport on Monday. <laughs> you all know who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I won't be that. So that I'd like to keep off the list. Other than that, I'll just be available because honestly, Mike, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, what would you think success would look like in 10 years? I wouldn't even known about this company. So sure. I just want to stay open and available and, and try and serve the day and time that, that I'm standing in. I hope you enjoyed that time with William. You know, there was so much there. You know, sometimes I think in each of these interviews, we'll find a lane that we sort of stay in. There was so much with William. I truly could have spent another hour on the phone 
with him because there was just so much there. One of the things, though, I love about William and I love about his company is the intentionality they lead with. Things aren't just happening by accident, but there's an intentionality, and he has created an amazing staff culture, there at the Vanderbilt and Search Group. But part of the reasons he's created such a great staff culture is he is such a great leader that leads out in each of those areas. And I think so many times we we wanted our company or our church or our team to do great things, and we per, we forget the power of the influence of that leader. They wouldn't be who they are if William wasn't who he is. And I think that was my takeaway. It was just one of those things to where he puts so much out and you read and hear so much. But part of that is he's just a great leader and his team and his company now are emulating who he is. You know, they've won best places to work um, and best culture there. Well, the reason is, is because that's William. That's just who he is. You could hear it in the friendliness of his voice. So thank you, William, for sharing your journey with us because we're all better for it. Well, in our next episode, episode 25, we get to sit down with a great friend of mine. He is part of the John Maxwell team here in Atlanta, is one of the vice presidents of the John Maxwell company. He bleeds leadership. We we go back to Liberty University days. His name is Chris Godey, and you will enjoy my time with Chris. But until then, I hope you'll go be the leader that you were created to be in the place that God has put you. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll share it with some friends. Go to iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and leave a rating for us and a review for us. It will help others in their journey to be the leaders they were created to be as well. But until next time, go be that leader, and I can't wait to join you again. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.